1: And welcome into another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. This conversation coming after the 2017 NBA draft, where the Pacers for once used both of their picks, and they even acquired another one. First, they got T.J. Leaf at 18, who appears to be a safe, reliable pick, a 6'10", 222-pound power forward. He led the UCLA Bruins in scoring last year, 16 points, Eight rebounds per game, playing alongside Bryce Alford, Lonzo Ball, Isaac Hamilton, along with another Pacers draft pick. Talking about E.K. Anubogu, who the Pacers nabbed at pick 47 in the second round. This guy has potential. This guy's very raw, though, E.K. is. He averaged just 13 minutes per game last season. Did not attempt a three. He's a big-time center inside. A big boy. 252 pounds, 6'10", underneath and it'll be interesting down the road to see if he'll ever match up and play with Miles Turner. If they'll pair up together, see what they could do. He adds rebounding for a team that was dismal From that department last year, averaged four rebounds in 13 minutes. Not a high score, but he does the dirty work. And they say he's got great length and he's got great wingspan, 7'6 wingspan. But we'll see what it amounts to because he's a guy that dropped for a reason. There were concerns about his medical, having knee issues, but he's very raw too at just 18. And so the fact that the Pacers outstanding medical staff gave the approval of this guy, the go-ahead, and then Kevin Pritchard used the pick on him. That's interesting, and it also leads you to believe, again, that the Pacers are geared more towards 2020-2021 than they are 2017-18 season. The Pacers also used a pick on Edmund Sumner, a point guard out of Xavier. Now, he's had ACL surgery, and that's a big reason why he dropped all the way to 52 in this draft, it was a pick owned by the New Orleans Pelicans, acquired by the Pacers for catch considerations. On this episode, I'll be joined by Mike Yam. He's the studio host for the Pac-12 Network, among many other titles. We've seen him here in Indianapolis to cover the NCAA tournament and more. He's there, based right in California, in San Fran at the Pac-12 Network studio headquarters. And so he's obviously watched a lot of these guys, a lot of T.J. Leaf and a lot of Ike Anubogu. And we want to talk more about the Pacers draft pick, so we head out to California to San Francisco and are joined by Mike Yam, the studio host of the Pac-12 Network, and a good friend of my friend Ashley Adamson also hosts the Give Me a Sense podcast where Mike visits with notable members of the media, sports, and entertainment world. His last guest, Kevin O'Neill, former Pacer assistant coach for two years. So, Mike, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, although I, I feel like I have big shoes to fill because you're friends with Ash. So oh, Smash is the best. Well, yeah, I might, I might not be invited back, so I will do my best here.
1: I enjoy following your relationship over the last, I don't know, three, four years it feels like, from afar on Instagram, Snapchat and everything with her.
0: Yeah, no, we've been having a good time. She's actually overseas now, so I'm doing all the draft stuff for for Pac-12 Network while she's at the beach with her seventh month old and her husband. So she's loving life.
1: Out there ah, right yes, now. Collins, very good. Well, let's jump right into it, Mike. We want to talk about T.J. Leaf as well as the Pacers' second round pick, E.K. Anibogu. Did I say that correctly. A lot of fans want to make sure we get the pronunciations right. First of all, you nailed it. You nailed it. Well done. Been working on that over the weekend. That now, was all fans, that was my assignment.
0: You can go E.K. Now, by the way. Just Ek, yeah. Now now it's cool. Like you say it the one time, and now you're good to go the rest of the time.
1: Yeah, you don't want to make the mistake of calling him Ike either, because the Pacers formerly had Ike Diagu. So there's kind of that <laughs> tendency to go, oh yeah, another Ike on the roster.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's that is very accurate. Although the, I'm I'm telling you, in a couple of years, everyone will know Ek.
1: Why do you say that? What what jumps out to you? Because I know there was a lot of concerns going into the draft about. EK, and ultimately the Pacers are able to take him all the way in the second round at 47.
0: Yeah, I actually think it's a great selection for him. There were concerns about the knee issue uh, that he had where he missed the NCAA tournament. For me though, the reason why there's so much excitement because I think fans who didn't get an opportunity to watch him at UCLA will probably look at the numbers and say, hey, this is a guy that's 18 years old at log, like what, you know, 13, 14 minutes a game, modest scoring, modest rebounding numbers, but if you had your eyes on him, when he was on the floor, he was, he's deadly. I mean, the dude is built like an absolute truck, great footwork, huge rim protector. To me, there's so much upside and so much potential. I can understand why you know, NBA general managers are salivating over the town. Now, once again, concerns because of the knee, but this is a low-risk move for, for Indiana. You take this guy in the second round see how he develops but for me I I think there's a ton of upside for him at 18 still needs to work on his offensive game still needs to figure out ways to stay on the floor had some foul issues uh, when he was at UCLA, but he really is an absolute monster.
1: You never know about NBA execs and how much are, are they deceiving you or are they just always hyping up their guy. But we heard New Pacers president Kevin Pritchard say that his expectation was for EK to go mid-20s, early 30s. He dropped all the way to 47. They were in touch with his agent. How surprised were you that he dropped that far? Was that a possibility you, you understood and he probably understood? I'll
0: be honest with you. I was actually floored that he wasn't taken at the end of the first round. I, I Once okay. again, you look at his size, you look at the skill level, you look at what teams are, are consistently looking for at the NBA level, there's so many reasons to point at EK and say, hey, this is a guy that, that deserves the spot. Now, maybe... There are some teams in the NBA that say, if I'm taking you in the first round and I have concerns about your knee and you're only 18 years old and I already knew that you were uh, a project, so to speak, without the knee injury, it might not be worth it for me to take you, you know, in that first round. Now, fast forward into the second round, and I think it makes it makes more sense. It made a ton of sense for Indiana. I I, I really do like his game. I, I think when you look at most of the guys that are drafted. You're always concerned about what can they bring to the table on the defensive side. That is the least concerning thing about Ek. It's all about what's what's he. How is he going to develop his game offensively? You know, and, and in some ways, it's kind of like the biggest question with TJ Leaf, right? Offensively, he's really strong, and yet defensively, how is TJ going to be able to grow in that Indiana uniform? So a lot. Of, you know, look a lot of love for UCLA. They get two of those guys, in mm-hmm. and Bruins. And- Last time they drafted a guy it was Reggie Miller. I don't think either of those guys are going to have the career that Reggie had. But uh, but to me, there's definitely a ton of upside with both
1: players. And the crazy thing about the connection here, beyond the UCLA roots, is these guys played AAU basketball with each other with the Compton Magic, so they go way back, and that helps, especially being you know an 18 and 20 year old coming to Indianapolis, a new scene for them. It'd be nice to have one another.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think that's something that people don't always realize when you look at. You know the life of an NBA player, especially in a young NBA player. There's been guys over the years that I've talked to, and they've all said the same thing: it can be really lonely on the road, and it can be really lonely when you're not even 21 yet. And you know, you're you're basically in a locker room with guys that are in their late 20s, early 30s, that have families, and that's a big adjustment for for a lot of players. So I think if you get some familiar faces, and you guys are lucky, you know, the former teammates are still teammates now, obviously used to wreck that UCLA uniform. It doesn't happen that often, so I think that's a huge bonus from the personal
1: side for both of these players. That's exactly the word I hear is is lonely, and then also you've yet to get into a routine when it comes to the NBA, whether it's your practice schedule and whether how you can get an assistant coach to rebound for you or pregame, when should you eat? It's a little bit different when you're traveling by charter and you're getting in at 3 in the morning, those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, lifestyle is just vastly different, and you know, some of the things that you made reference to, I think, are all factors. And then, how about just playing <laughs> that for too. money at the pro level, where the expectation level is sky high? I mean, it just—it's a different—it's a different mindset, I think, when you hit the floor.
1: When you think about Ek on the floor and his presence, like you spoke of, and how he's a physical specimen, do you kind of envision like a Kendrick Perkins, a big baby, where he's just huge and efficient in a few things?
0: Yeah, I mean I think Perk is 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 a reasonable uh comparison for sure. I I just you know what's crazy the more and more I watch we would do I would do double takes at the screen and just I, the footwork and I know I said that before, but it's just so strong. Um and, and at his size, him being able to run up and down the floor as well as he did, I think it's surprising, you know. I and and this is not the comparison that I'm making, but you know, I, I think most of us grew up watching Shaquille O'Neal play. And, you know, the other day I was watching TV and there was some footage of him when he was coming out of college and, and playing in an Orlando Magic uniform. I forgot how big and how how agile he was at his size. And EK... I think has still some room to to even get a little bit bigger, but he is built like a truck and he does move well. Uh, he doesn't move like Shaq moved, and I'm not suggesting that, but it, it is size when a guy gets up and down the floor as well as e k does it does garner a lot of attention and once again, he does so many really good things on the defensive end, so depending on what you' what you want to see from him from a fan perspective, it's not going to be highlight dunks. it's not going to be a dominant post player. But it is a guy that's going to make sure that there is a second line of defense when when there's a breakdown on defense on the perimeter. I mean, guys are not going to want to meet him in the paint.
1: And what he adds, too, I think, is rebounding. And that's something this Pacers team was yeah. horrendous at last year in addition to their defense. You pair him up in the front court with Miles Turner, maybe slide Miles back to perhaps a more natural four and if you throw EK in there, that could be an interesting matchup, although I'm not sure we'll see it this upcoming year. Do you think that might be a little premature, all things yeah, considered?
0: I think, it's a, I think we're a little ways away there. I think Turner's game, though, actually makes a lot of sense to why Indiana grabbed TJ Leaf. Uh, I, I look at their skill sets and do very different things. I think of, of Turner as more of a guy that you can put on the block, put in the post, and has a little bit more of an offensive game closer to the bucket, whereas TJ, I think he's more of a stretch four. He's a guy that's going to go 17, 18 feet out, does have three-point range. He's a guy that can knock down long threes in the corner as well, which I think is going to be huge for them, especially if Turner's passing out of the post. So I I think from a spacing perspective, TJ actually provides or, or really makes a lot of sense for Indiana what they're looking at this season.
1: You're out there in Cali and San Fran where the Golden State Warriors just won their second NBA title in three years, this is the way the game's evolving, and you're seeing big guys like this 6'10 T.J. Leaf. To me, I think maybe he could be a a Gordon Hayward type. Adds some physicality, adds some bulk, obviously, and then also his ability, as you said, to hit that three-point shot, that has a lot of appeal.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing with T.J., and you said it, and I know he's talked about it a lot, is gotta get bigger, gotta get stronger, and and not necessarily size-wise in terms of height, but just girth. I mean, he is... You know he's still a young kid. Um, you know you play one year of college ball. You're 18, 19 years old. Ek is 18 years old. These guys can still get their their bodies are still maturing. And I, I think for me, when I watch TJ, if he's able to figure it out, you know that first move on on you know the the he's not a guy that showed you at UCLA that he could do a ton of blow I mean that's just not going to happen, especially when you get to the NBA level where you know there's other stretch fours that are out there that do move pretty well and are agile. And you're right. The game is progressing and trending in that direction. We watched Golden State, you know, the last three seasons, the ball movement, uh, the ability to attack the basket, cutters and, and, um, you know, guys using screens as well as they do and, and really just an openness and willing to pass that ball movement is so, you know, it's, it's magical when you watch those guys on the floor a lot of times, just how in sync they are. And I I think when I watch TJ play, I, I see a guy that, has an offensive game that still can get better and I I think that's still what his his personal identity is when he's on the floor but if he's able to figure out how to develop a little bit of a first step where he's able to get past the guy then you're right I think you could be talking about Gordon uh, Hayward I I think once again Gordon has developed and worked on his craft so much where he is he's multi-level in terms of his scoring ability and TJ's just not there yet
1: Where TJ needs to improve the most at is on the defensive end. We've heard both he and the Pacers discuss that here in recent days. Where is that most obvious, Mike? Are you seeing guys blow around him? Or are you seeing him have a difficult time matching up with guys in the post?
0: To me, it's not as much as guys getting past him, although that did happen. To me, I think one of the biggest issues when watching TJ is what happens when it's another big body that's on the block that that wants to score, you know, and, and I think that happens and that's why I think there is the potential for TJ to get better on that side. He just sometimes, if you can, if you want to be physical, mono to mono and man to man and just, you know, you know, if it's, you know, a, a larger four, that is not worried or concerned about facing up from 15 feet out, but wants that contact, that to me is where I want to see TJ thrive and take that next step. I actually think the lateral movement is not bad for TJ Leaf. I, I think, once again, the biggest issue is, and I don't want to say tough because I think tough is a mentality, but I want to say, uh, for lack of a better term, I guess I have to use tough because I can't come up with another word for it. I don't think he is a soft player. I do think he, he's a guy, though, that that needs to be able to hand a physical brand of basketball that's going to be you know, coming his way at the pro level at that power forward spot.
1: The thing we've heard about both of these guys is their ability to run in transition to chase it down the floor. Do you see much of that as well at UCLA?
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's all they did. I mean, you made reference to the, the Golden State Warriors. I thought the closest thing offensively in the country to the way really the Warriors played at the college level was UCLA last year. I mean, Lonzo Ball running the show, TJ Leaf on the perimeter. They had great weapons. Isaac Hamilton, Bryce Alford certainly comes to mind. So there were so many guys that that were able to to move and transition. It was like a, a wave. It was like a tsunami at times, where UCLA and a lot of it was TJ Leaf, where you know you could go and watch like a 10-1 run, a, a 12-3 run, where you know out of nowhere these guys just get up and down the floor so fast. And, and a lot of it was Alonzo, but TJ was the recipient of playing a really good point guard. Um, and I I think that's something where if Indiana decides to get a little bit quicker. Uh, when they're on the floor, I, I think TJ will fit fit right into what they want
1: to do. And that's been the goal, Mike. That's been what they've been talking about the last yeah. two years. They shifted coaches, Frank Vogel out, Nate McMillan in. Their pace went up, points per game improved slightly, but their defense dropped from third to 16th. So that's, that's where they really suffered, and to where one player called the defense horrendous to me. So that was straightforward.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, and, and that's the thing. When you... And that's why I'm a little concerned because of TJ. But I, I think, you know, if EK is able to find a home. I, now, once again, I, I think young players who physically sometimes aren't always ready have some issues staying on the floor because of foul trouble. And I, I think. You know both EK and TJ Lee for different reasons might have to face that.
1: Yeah, especially EK. I remember Roy Hibbert up until he he yeah, had some of those yeah. couple year runs where he was strong, was an all star, and then faded away. One of his big issues early into his career was get, staying on the floor. He'd pick up four fouls in fifteen minutes, and and that would really limit his ability to contribute out on the floor.
0: Yeah, I mean Hibbert. You know, it's funny I forgot about him.
1: A lot of people Side-wise,
0: have Mike. Yeah, <laughs> I said. You know, size-wise, Ek can can almost fill out to that type of frame. Um, it Moves better. I mean, when when Roy was playing with you guys down there, he wasn't. I mean, Ek is. You know, Roy was a bigger dude than than Ek is right now. But you know, and that has to do with age and maturity and and just the, the time and process of being in the NBA level. But I can see Ek's frame filling out to to looking more like Roy Hibbert in a few years.
1: I want to ask you about UCLA basketball, just. Because people around here are curious, following Steve Alford, that program, one of our best players, the Indiana Mr. Basketball, Chris Wilkes, heading out there. What is the reception like? What is the uh, attendance like at UCLA games? Because in our mind, people are at the beach, and so it doesn't quite have the appeal as uh, coming here to Indiana, Purdue, Ohio State might.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like an awful way to live your life, right? Go to yeah, the no kidding. that had, had to go uh, <laughs> watch UCLA at night at Poly. You know, I, it, it's funny because I, I'm curious what the reaction is from your guys' then on Steve Alford because I think nationally the narrative with Steve is look at the players that he's been able to bring in, look at the guys that have made the jump to the NBA and the success that they had even last season. And I think there's a lot of positives with that program, but for whatever reason, you know, and look, Indiana is a blue blood, UCLA a blue blood, where the expectation level is so high, so significant that a sweet 16 run, that ain't going to cut it. That's just not good enough. These are programs, two programs in particular, that are thinking Final Four and national championships. And I think when you look at the UCLA fan base, they've, for whatever reason, just have never been completely enamored with Steve Alford. And I I I'm disappointed by it because I think you look at the results and the job that he's done, and I think it's pretty darn good. Um, you know, all these tournament runs that he's been able to put together and the talent that's there. I, I just think in the day and age of college basketball where there is so much talent where it's not always outside of Kentucky, for example, you know, there are really good basketball teams that that aren't necessarily the teams that were always good, you know, 10, 15 years ago, but Steve nationally, I think gets a, a decent amount of credit for what he does. I think locally he, he's probably down in Westwood should get a little bit more support, but I, I was surprised there. Cause I, I've heard mixed things about, you know, when he was up for that Indiana job, or at least there were conversations, was it, was it heat? Like, were people around you and and in your guys' area? Did they want to see Steve there?
1: In the conversations we all had on the radio and social media and everything, the majority did not want him. They looked and were noticing. Where's the Final Four? It's the Elite Eight appearances? It was almost similar to Indiana in that they had gotten some recruits. They had made made some fanfare. Been the number one ranked team in the country, but. Where are the results? We expect more going back to what you said of those high expectations and then also you did have a lot of people go back to what he had to say back when he was dealing with an Iowa player and sexual assault yeah, allegations yeah. and all that. That was another big turnoff, big no for a lot of IU fans.
0: Well, it's surprising that, and I shouldn't say it's surprising that it, that it came up, but I'm surprised that the reaction wasn't more positive there because everyone that I've talked to that has lived in that area or lives in that area, he's Kind of a revered icon in a lot of ways with that program, and to me, when you leave a UCLA, and I, I mean, I'll say this to replace Ben Halland, it—I I, want to say to a UCLA fan, what do you want? Because you got the Final Fours with Ben, and you had a brand of basketball that people were annoyed by. They didn't want to see all these defensive, you know, uh, slow down, slow the tempo down games and complained about Ben Hallen and then Ben Hallen gets relieved of his duties they bring in Steve Alford and these guys are going up and down the 4 million miles an hour and yet they're still not happy. So to me it's it's you, you can't make everyone happy at this point I guess is the is is really what it all comes down to.
1: Yeah, there was great hesitation I think with Steve Alford and so he, he made it public in his press conferences how many times did he have to answer yes I'm interested but I'm yeah. still the coach of UCLA. I think Fred Glass the AD at IU saw those red marks maybe he got st- intel behind the scenes he's very well aware of reaction and sentiment of its iu fans and so he he went in a different direction
0: yeah and and look i think there's nothing wrong with that i think they have a great coach that's
1: uh in the mix right now
0: it's it's interesting from a sean miller perspective because there was you know rumors and rumblings about him maybe even leaving or you know if other jobs had opened up in the pac-12 archie making his way out to the West Coast, uh, you know, people said, hey, he'll never recruit or never want to recruit against his brother. But um, the reality is I-, I think in a lot of ways it's a win-win for everyone.
1: Well, IU fans like what they got in Archie Miller, but we'll see two, three years down the road if they still feel that way or if their opinions may change. I think they got a good coach in Archie Miller and they're going to like what he brings to the program. Mike, thanks for schooling us up on both EK, on TJ, those UCLA guys and what you saw from them firsthand while covering them with the Pac-12 Network.
0: Yeah, no, absolute pleasure. Thank you again for having me on.